Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Dave Walters. In today's episode, we're talking about how to account for alternative forms of financing. I'm joined by Gary Berkowitz, who leads our global non-financial team. So Gary, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Good to be back. So uh, what types of financing are we talking about today when we refer to alternative yeah, alternative or funky or sexy. You can you can give them any any form of names, but I think the the important thing here is they are a little bit different from what we're used to in terms of financing. So if you think of the current environment, things have been tough globally for a while, and businesses and uh, entities are are thinking about ways in which they can finance their business in new and innovative ways, and that's what we mean by alternative financing arrangements. So you know, in the past, where you may have had a a really simple simple loan and you've got a repayment term and it gets paid over a period of time we're seeing transactions in the you know in the pharmaceutical some related to even litigation but the ones that I've I've seen a fair amount of is in the mining industry where you have situations where entities may receive a large amount of cash from a financier it doesn't always have to be a bank and the way in which they're going to pay it back over time may be different from a very simple loan situation okay and is part of the rationale for the development of these alternative financing based on just the, the availability of you know, normal bank financing is it is this is this area growing in popularity for reasons other than just it's new and funky but actually it's the only source of financing in town well i think there's a couple of reasons why again it it, it makes sense for companies to do i think well and i'll describe in a bit more detail you know some of the ones that we've seen but but generally, what we see with with some of these financing arrangements is it takes it takes a lot of pressure off companies from a financial or operational perspective to make these fixed repayments. And so, mm-hmm. what you find with alternative financing arrangements is the financier, or I'll call them a lender, but they you know, get into why that might not always mm-hmm. be the right you know the right terminology. But you know, the lender takes on sometimes a little bit more risk than a typical bank may take on when they lend you money, and that gives the party that received the funding a little bit more comfort that they may not be taken to court or liquidated if they can't repay it back in a period of time. Because in a lot of cases, the financier's return is sometimes linked to the success of the business that they loaned the money to. Okay, so it's not just a simple loan with fixed repayments. So what do the financiers get instead? I mean, are there any examples? Yeah, so I mean, the example, as I say, that probably is nearest and dearest to my heart is, is I'll use an example in the mining industry. So you might get a financier who who gives a large amount of, of cash to a, a, a mining company and they say, look, here's the money. You don't have to make fixed repayments, but what I would like is as you use this money to extract the minerals out of the mine that I've used to fund this this venture, you will give me a portion of the, the outflow, either a portion of the, the cash that you make when you sell the commodity, or actually a portion of the commodity will be delivered to me as the financier. So it's a little bit like a, a very narrow portion of equity, if you like, an equity interest in that portion of the mine that they that they finance exactly and that's where i say that that's what gives the companies a bit more financial flexibility and that a lot of these and as i say they are very there is no one size fits all but in a lot of these situations what is beneficial for the company is that a they get you know they they get a big amount of money up front but the risk that's involved is linked to their operations rather than their credit risk and fixed repayments like you have like you would have with a with a regular loan okay so i i i, I... I guess I drew the analogy with equity, um, but actually, what is the accounting? So I can do the debit bit. You know, the debit yeah. bit is cash. <laughs> debit cash. Very good. Very good, Dave. Yeah. Credit 
Yeah, yes. and and that that is the thing where the where we accountants get really excited oh, about yeah. these alternative financing areas. You, you hear the excitement in my voice. Yeah. As I'm starting to starting to get uh, revved up over here, but I think that it it actually depends. Um, and that is why I think, as I say, these alternative financing arrangements are complicated both from a financial perspective, but also from a financial reporting perspective, because these things are normally big sums of money. And we know when big sums of money involved, large documents and large contracts yeah. are involved with tons of lawyers and, and lots of commercial terms in there. And you really need to be very careful with an alternative financing arrangement to ensure that you get the right classification of the credit to, to answer your question, because... If you think of, again, our power or our waterfall of standards that we go down, in most financing arrangements, your starting point is, is this a financial instrument? Yeah. And so to your point, it may be that it, it represents an equity financial instrument. In other words, some cases you may have actually sold a residual portion of the equity of your business. And, yeah. that, and we do see some in which, in which that is the case. In other cases, although it may not be structured like a loan, and the whole idea was that you wanted to remove yourself from the the risks and 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 you know restrictions of having fixed repayments, as a result of the way we apply IFRS nine and IS thirty two, you may end up still with a liability accounting because there may be events which are conditional, which although very unlikely are outside of the control of both parties, which may result in a trigger to repay all or a portion of the payments. And as we know, although those are doomsday events that no one ever expects to happen, That's you know the rules around IS thirty two sometimes drive you into a position of still recognizing it as a liability. And in some cases, you may even have a derivative, where again, the the, the payment that you have to make is dependent on some, some financial variable, especially if we're talking with a commodity, um, if you can demonstrate that it's not specific to one of the parties in the transaction. So you can go through any number of those, but I guess the one I get excited about is when you manage to jump through all those hoops and you say, no, 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 you may actually end up in a situation where this is a revenue transaction and you know you teed up I'm I'm leading our non-financial yeah. team so I only really get really excited about the stuff when we actually have decided it's not a financial instrument do you have to go through that waterfall first so so with any arrangement you start off by looking at is it debt versus equity then is it a derivative and then and only then you say well actually what else could it be yeah, so I guess that waterfall, all of those three you described, I think it would probably be, if it's a derivative, it would start there. But I think the important okay. thing is, from a standards perspective, you're starting in 9 and 32 first and analyzing to see if it's a financial instrument. I haven't seen one, but you're right. You may have one with maybe as a lease, and that would that is more powerful than, <laughs> than the financial instruments 9 and 32. So if for, if for whatever reason you'd lease a portion of your business out, yeah. you might even start in IFRS 16. I haven't seen any like that. But I think the important thing is, there's a waterfall in terms of the scope of the standards and you need to work through the waterfall to work out how which standard you should apply yeah. to one of these arrangements. And, and so could you give an example of an arrangement that has that you've seen that falls into IFS 15? Just, just yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so again, you, you've got an arrangement where there is, there is no, no obligation for the, the entity or the mining company to make a payment back unless they actually mine the minerals out the ground and they give a portion of those minerals over then to the party that provided them with the financing. So right. they have no obligation to pay cash or another financial instrument. Their obligation is to de deliver a portion of the output that they pull out the ground to a counterparty. Right. And so if you start describing that in that way, you say, well, how is that difference to a customer paying me in advance for goods and services that I'm going to provide to them in the future? 
And that's kind of where you need to get to. to so, but, but yeah. the logic is you don't get there by saying, well, my intention was always to give you product or minerals or, an, or, or, or a cash flow after I've sold it on your behalf. So I'm in 15. The logic is you start out by saying, is it a financial instrument? No. Okay. Well, then this is most likely a contract with the customer. Uh, and do you have uh, do you have to deliver them the physical product, or it, it, would it change the accounting if, for example, you said, "I this product is yours, but I shall sell it on your behalf and give you cash"? Yeah. So again, that's a very good question. As I say, you know, the devil is in the detail because I think if you if if the contract and the rights and obligations demonstrate that control of the underlying commodity or a part thereof does transfer to the financier yeah and then they are instructing you to sell it on their behalf much like an agent i think we would be comfortable that it is a revenue transaction and you're providing two services to that customer but again you've got to be very careful because am i really doing that or has someone just said listen make sales and when you make the sales a portion of those cash flows belong to me yeah because that starts to feel like a royalty share yeah and you probably need to think about is that really that the transfer of goods and services to a customer is that someone's bought into a future royalty which may be a form of financial instrument so <laughs> good question and i've been purposefully not answered because well, i think the devil is in the detail and i guess you said that up front that the answer to hit to this may well lie within the depths of hundreds of pages of contractual terms so people need to be careful but i guess the the accounting consequences if you're in ifrs 15 versus being in uh you know ifrs 9 and having having a liability obviously your balance sheet looks Yes, and I, and again, I, I didn't focus on that at the outset, but a lot of companies, one of the attractions to some of these alternative financing arrangements is if it is negotiated commercially in whatever manner makes sense and you get to it being a revenue transaction that isn't then classified as traditional debt on the balance sheet, which changes the way that lenders and equity holders may look at that business from a risk perspective because you know when a when a credit analyst or a, an equity analyst looks at a business and they say you've got debt you have to repay this debt so you are riskier than another company that has a contract liability which is only an obligation to provide goods and services in the future so it changes i think the the accounting actually reflects the economics which is yeah. one company is less risky than another because one company actually only has to deliver goods and services in the ordinary course of business. Another company has to make repayments as they would with a loan. And if they, as we know, if you default on a loan, you've got bigger problems than if you maybe <laughs> deliver, a, you know, commodity a bit later to a customer or goods and services later to a customer. So, very big differences in the way it's classified from a balance sheet perspective. And I think companies are attracted to it because they people don't see it as, as I say, as a as a form of finance, which would then restrict their ability to lend further with traditional financing. Mm. But it is, I, I guess it does represent a call on the on the production mm. that, that that will be produced. So 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 the readers of the financial statements will need to, I guess, carefully assess the the IFRS fifteen disclosure notes, which are which we know are an area of focus for, for investors and indeed for, for regulators right now. But the the story that those tell here will be very important for people to understand. Yeah. If you've got a mind that has let's say, uh, sold 20% of its production from a particular stream to a financier who's financed 20% of the cost. Spot on. And I think the important thing to maybe reiterate is it doesn't mean commercially there's no financing in this arrangement. Just because mm -hmm. you've shown it as a contract liability. The way these transactions are, are structured is that there is a financing arrangement because commercially no one is going to part with yeah. you know $500 million on day one 
and not expect to make some kind of return on that. So there is financing implicit in these arrangements. It's just been built into the expectation of the amount of commodity or goods yeah. that will be provided to the financier over time. So I might give you $500 million on day one, Dave, and you're a mining company. Yeah. And we've worked out in the background that then if you promise to deliver me commodity over the next 20, 30, 40 years, in theory, I should receive more than $500 million worth, which takes account yeah. of the fact that there's a time value of money and a risk component that I've taken on as a financier. And does that does that impact the sort of day two through to year 40 accounting? Yeah, and I think that's where some of the really exciting complexity <laughs> comes in because a lot of these transactions are very, very long-lived. Yeah. So it may be that you will take a portion of my output for 20, 30, 40 years life of mine. In other words, yeah. in perpetuity as long as the life, as long as the mine exists. And so what you have is the day two accounting. Remember, we have this, this really good requirement in IFRS 15 that says if you've been financed by a customer, in other words, they've paid you a big slug of cash up front, but you're only going to deliver the goods and services over more than one year, yeah. and, there's a, and there's a financing component implicit in that arrangement, you must account for that just like you would if you'd received financing from a bank or anyone else. And so the day two accounting, it's really exciting because you need to try and work out within this 20, 30, 40 year view what is the financing that you would have been provided by a bank if you'd received a 40-year loan, uh, which, as you can imagine, is currently impossible to get from yeah. observable data. So it, it introduces quite a lot of challenges in terms of what's the right interest rate to use on one of these arrangements. Uh, and I guess where you'll end up with is that will almost certainly be a, um, a, a significant estimate. Uh, and the 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 range of answers you might have reached there would would likely be uh, impact the results materially. Let's uh, let's assume they do. Yep. In which case, you've got disclosures to make around uh, around the assumptions you make. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you think about it, yeah, there's there's not going to be any observable data you can point to. So there's going to be some estimation and judgment in here. And if you think of, as I said, the life of these arrangements, they normally span. 20, 30, 40, 50, all the way up to kind of 70 years is some of the ones I've seen. Now, if you imagine, if you get that interest rate, you're just a little bit off, you know, like 0.5% on a 70-year loan is going to make a very big difference to your interest charge. Yeah. And if you think about it, the way we're going to pay this loan off is by delivering goods and services, which means the credit when you ultimately pay is not to cash. It's actually to revenue. Yeah. So there's a direct correlation between the interest rate you get on day one and the revenue you're going to recognize in the future when you actually settle this contract liability through the delivery of goods and services. So critical judgment, really important, you know, should probably be, you know, thought of very carefully and be disclosed to, to the users. And, and let's assume that at the end of year one, your estimate of how much uh, product you are going to be giving to the counterparty has changed. <laughs> well, how do we account for that change in our... I'm getting so excited on the fly <laughs> yeah, my channel. So that is, that is really, really the crux of what... Uh, these deals are complicated to begin with, but that's where you know, it really gets to the, the next level of, of super exciting and complicated. Because if you think about it, we've got a, we've got a performance obligation here or a, yeah. a, a contract liability, but we're not sure how much goods and services we need to deliver to yeah. satisfy that performance obligation. So on day one, I've got my estimate of how many kind of ounces or, or product I'm going to deliver to the customer to satisfy that performance obligation. But as you say, at the end of year one, two, three, four, guarantee you over 70 years, there's going to be a change. Either you're going to have to deliver more or less than you thought yeah. about on day one. And I think the point is, well, 
the only adjustment you can make there is to the contract liability. Either you've delivered relatively more or less than you thought you were going to have to deliver moving forward, and so you're going to need to make some kind of adjustment or cumulative catch-up to the contract liability to bring it back in line with your estimates of how much you actually think you're going to deliver at the end of year one. And if your, if your contract liability has gone up, I guess the other side of that accounting is in our income statement. Hmm, correct. And I think the question there is, is it all to revenue or is there a portion that goes to that debit if, if, if it should be, should be higher? You know, yeah. you increase the contract liability. Does that debit go to revenue? All, does it all go to revenue or should a portion go to interest? Because if you think about it, it means that your estimate of both the interest and the revenue were kind of, yeah. and the one was understated, the one was overstated as you were going through. So I think it becomes very, very tricky. And thrown into that is that amazing requirement in IFRS 15 that says, you know, once you've set the discount rates on day one for a significant financing arrangement with the customer, thou shalt not go back and reassess that discount rate. So if you think of the maths that you're going to have to do here, you've, you've locked in your discount rate on day one. Yeah. You've locked in the amount of revenue you book, or the contract liability you booked on day one. There's only so many kind of levers you can play with to try and recalculate how you should get the correct contract liability on day two. And, you know, not, you know there's, there's a couple of ways you can do it. And I think we've got some guidance that, that demonstrates the different ways you can do it. But one is to say, well, I need to proportionally adjust my amortization table retrospectively as if I'd known today what I knew back then, yeah. but keep the interest rate the same and multiply everything by an adjustment. Or alternatively, you apply almost like a, I don't know what it's, a useful AG8. I don't know if it's B4.3 point <laughs> something now. Oh, yes. But you know where you, you keep your interest rate the same, but you just make a cumulative catch-up adjustment to say, what does the liability need to be today to make sure that moving forward, if I keep the interest rate the same as it was on day one, my amortization table is still going to balance to zero. So... You know, the maths gets really complicated and the tables get complicated, but, you know, it's, 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 it's doable. And, but you could have some very material pluses and minuses going through your revenue number. Correct. Based on your forecasts of, you know, how much uh, of your production or your farmer product or whatever it is that has been alternatively financed yeah. uh, is, is going to go to the counterpoint. Spot on. And I mean, if you think about it for a, for a, in, in, the, in the mining industry, you've got life of mine estimates, which are, you know, you're estimating how much, you know, resources you're going to have, you know, proven probable up, up to 70 years. As time goes on and your estimates get better, there may be some very material changes in those estimations, which you know, at the start of the arrangement may not make a hugely material difference. Mm. But if you're halfway through, yeah. you've already booked a cumulative amount of revenue that's pretty high. Changing that then at a point in time will have a far more material impact than it will on day one. So I guess my point is, yes, we're starting to see these alternative financing arrangements. And I mean, they're coming up in the last you know, five years or so. But I think you're going to see some of those bigger swings you're talking about, actually, probably once you and I have retired in many, many years from now. And hopefully we've got the accounting right today because the people who are going to have to deal with whether or not we got it right or wrong are going to be the folks, you know, 20, 30 years down the line from now. Fantastic. So, so uh, alternative financing uh, is clearly commercially potentially very beneficial for, for, for corporates, uh, but also for accountants. It's a, it's a, it's a great test of us uh, and will be a source, of, a source of work for those who are involved in accounting for it and, and indeed reviewing and understanding the accounting for it. Uh, in the future yeah um, one person's work is another person's excitement though, uh, absolutely uh, absolutely so do you have any key takeaways oh i guess i guess it may be a couple like i think the one would be you know if you identify one of these arrangements where it appears that the 
you know, you've received your clients or an entity has received a, an amount of funding on day one and the way in which they're going to pay it back is linked to production that they're going to either have to provide a portion of or sell you're in this bucket. And as soon as you, I think identifying that you're in an alternative financing arrangement is the first key thing to bear in mind. Once you are, as I say, a key takeaway for me is you need to be very careful around what standard to apply. That's probably yeah. the single most important thing is what standard should I be applying to account for these? Yeah. And the way you get there, as I say, is unfortunately trawling through all of these terms that the lawyers have put in as doomsday kind of uh, triggers to ensure you aren't actually in financial liability land on day one. Mm. And I think the other key takeaway it has it is after that, if you do end up in a situation where you're applying IFRS 15, be very, very mindful of how you get that discount rates on day one. Work with evaluation guys. Look at does it make sense from a common sense perspective, but then similarly be aware that the day two accounting is maybe just as complicated, if not more so, than the day one accounting. Excellent. And I guess if I could, I would also reiterate that if you've got these arrangements and disclosures around them, transparent disclosures around them will be will be key. And if you, you may well find yourself with, with these arrangements in the sort of significant estimates, mm. uh, disclosures of IS1, where we might be needing to quantify what a reasonably possible change might be. So don't, don't forget all those disclosures either. So, uh, so thank you, Gary, for shedding some light on the alternative financing uh, and proving that something in with financing in the title could still end up in the revenue standard, which is, uh, which is a good uh, thing is, for me. Which is, <laughs> well, indeed, it's, it's quite exciting, uh, but it comes with a, a range of, of accounting challenges, which I think you've, you've introduced us to. But uh, uh, if, if people find themselves in this, we do have publications that, uh, that are out there that, uh, that they, you could refer to, but uh, you might want to talk to to a professional accountant to get to get appropriate help but uh, thank you uh, Gary for your time today um, thanks Dave uh, so that's all we have time for for this uh, podcast if in the meantime you've got accounting questions do have a look on the PwC inform or pwc.com forward slash IFRS and in the meantime happy accounting the preceding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.